Welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. Today I'm going to take a peek at beta blockers, kind of talk about mechanism of action, what the medications are, are commonly used for, also get into the weeds on some of the, the pearls between uh, different agents, and talk about kind of selectivity and, and non-selectivity as well. So let's get into it. So beta blockers are an, uh, basically inhibit or, or block beta receptors in, in the body. And when you think about beta receptors, you have to remember beta 1 and beta 2. And the easiest way to remember that is, is beta 1 is you have one heart, and beta 2 you have two lungs. Now beta blockers are typically, in most situations, um, we're trying to block beta 1 receptors. Beta blockers are most commonly used for hypertension and atrial fibrillation. So we're using these to bring down blood pressure and, and also to kind of suppress the heart rate and relax the, the heart. So by blocking beta receptors, the primary result that you're going to get is kind of reducing the contractility of the heart and also kind of reducing the heart rate. So that's usually the, the primary target. Now I will say uh, there are agents that are more selective for beta-1s and that action on the heart. So a drug like metoprolol, for example, tends to be much more selective. Atenolol is a much more uh, beta-1 selective agent. Now keep in mind as we raise the dose uh, we can potentially start to, to use that, uh, lose that selectivity. Beta 2, uh, now I'll, I'll talk about this um, certainly as we talk about other medications. Beta 2 agonists, which are drugs like albuterol, are used to stimulate respirations and to stimulate breathing and open up the airways. So in a patient with respiratory difficulty, COPD, asthma, and patients being on beta-2 agonists, we really want to try to avoid using an a agent that's going to uh, block beta-2 receptors. And so an example of a more non-selective agent is propranolol. That's kind of the classic example. And so that is a beta blocker, and it tends to be more non-selective, so it's going to block both beta-1, which is our good effects for hypertension, as well as um, atrial fibrillation, if we're using it for that. But it's also going to have more blocking effects at, at beta-2, so that can potentially negatively impact our asthma and COPD patients. So definitely something to be aware of and, and recognizing that physiology between beta-1 and, and beta-2. So just wanted to, to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of typical pulse range. So that's normally in that 60 to, to 100 range. As patients um, have or are diagnosed with atrial fibrillation, you, you know, that, that pulse can go way up and, and certainly way up above that um, kind of normal range, that 100 mark. And we use the agents, to, the beta blockers, to, to bring that down. Um, 
other agents, uh, other beta blockers you, you may see utilized. Um, Natalol I have seen periodically. That one is non-selective, just like propranolol. Carvedilol, or Coreg is the brand name there, that has some alpha blocking activity in addition uh, to beta blocking activity, so that's kind of an important uh, quirk to remember sometimes there. Now, there are plenty of compelling indications for beta blockers. So other reasons, uh, in addition to antihypertensive therapy, uh, why we might use these agents. So I mentioned atrial fibrillation. So if somebody's got hypertension and atrial fibrillation, yeah, you know, it, it would definitely make sense to, to utilize a, a beta blocker. They can be helpful for both, again, depending upon the, the situation. Um, other compelling indications, so a patient with uh, reduced ejection fraction, CHF, uh, that's a, a compelling indication for a beta blocker. And we do try to push the doses on beta blockers if we can. Uh, particularly, you probably see metoprolol utilized in CHF. Um, uh, carvedilol is also commonly used uh, in CHF as well. Uh, angina, it can be helpful for, beta blockers can be helpful for, and post-MI in combination, or post-heart attack in combination with uh, ACE inhibitors as well there. So I mentioned the impact on respiratory medications and the, the potential it can have there. And like I said, keep in mind, you know, that the dosing of these agents does matter. You know, as we uh, go up on the dose, the, the likelihood of, you know, blocking um, beta agonist effects or impacting uh, respirations, uh, it could potentially uh, rise there. Um, well, I, I shouldn't say respirations. I should say uh, breathing in, in general. Uh, the impact could rise as that dose increases and the, the potential for selectivity of beta-1 versus beta-2 kind of goes away. I did also want to mention that uh, beta blockers can potentially blunt some of the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia. So if you've got a patient that has frequent hypoglycemia or has had a lot of episodes in the past, there is the potential for beta blockers to block that response and some of those signs and symptoms. With that said, if um, patients do get sweating with hypoglycemia, I have seen patients report that they generally don't sweat with hypoglycemia, but if they do Sweating is one of the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia that is not blocked by beta blockers. So that's kind of one a uh, classic uh, test question I always remember throughout school on that. With that said, you, you know, it, diabetes is not a contraindication uh, to using beta blockers, but I think it is important to, to recognize that fact that there is that potential of uh, blocking some of those uh, signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia. did want to touch on a, a couple of, of drug interactions with beta blockers. Usually, uh, these are, are pretty well tolerated as far as drug interactions go, but I definitely wanted to mention uh, other medications that can suppress the pulse. And classically, the, uh, good examples there would be 
non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers. So examples there, diltiazem and verapamil. They can lower pulse. And any medication that can lower pulse in association with a beta blocker that can lower pulse, you know, we, we just need to, to watch and monitor, certainly, uh, if those agents happen to be utilized together. But very, very seldom uh, do you ever see uh, these agents uh, used together. And then the other one, uh, which I've kind of alluded to already, is, you know, the ability uh, potentially of, of beta blockers to uh, blunt uh, the effects or reduce the effects of beta agonists being used for respiratory diseases. So albuterol, uh, levalbuterol, um, salmeterol, some of the longer acting beta agonists as well, which I'll definitely cover in another uh, podcast. Uh, those effects can potentially uh, be blunted. Rare, compelling indications that I, I wanted to mention. You will sometimes see non-selective beta blockers used for a couple of other indications. Propranolol specifically is the one I see used most often. Um, migraine prevention, you will sometimes see uh, beta blockers used. Uh, essential tremor, you may see a drug like propranolol used for that as well. And portal hypertension. So this is uh, elevated blood pressure, generally associated with uh, cirrhosis and, and liver dysfunction uh, in patients uh, that may um, get esophageal varices. So remember, portal hypertension, uh, migraine prophylaxis, and essential tremor are all um, three kind of unique compelling indications where you may see a, a drug like propranolol, non-selective beta blocker, uh, utilized. So in, in summing up, remember reduced heart rate, certainly reduced blood pressure, uh, blunting the effects of, of hypoglycemia, um, or excuse me, blocking some of those symptoms of hypoglycemia and blunting uh, the effects of beta agonists are some of the uh, highlights with beta blockers and things that uh, certainly can be highly tested.